if you really want to have a relationship with your kids that's real and authentic, you have to hold space for their truth. My kids say stuff all the time that I'm like, I don't want to agree with that or I don't like that that's their perception, but that's their truth. And if I try and diminish their perspective, I'm not going to get their truth again. So I know stuff that they've done, experiences that they've had, like I know, you know, first kisses. I know that stuff because they come and tell me because I'm not going to judge them in that moment. I'm not going to tell them why they're wrong. Like I'm just going to hold space. Now, if they did something that I felt like wasn't safe or wasn't okay, we also have the kind of relationship where they will hold space for that conversation with me. But that took a lot of buildup. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Check, check, check. Hi, guys. It's Rach. Welcome to another episode of the show. And today we're answering, we're, I'm speaking as in three person. I, Rachel, I am answering your questions. Uh, we've gotten a bunch of questions, conversations, topic starters into the podcast hotline. And I thought it's been a hot minute since I've answered those for y'all, a little mailbag moment. So typically when I'm doing a mailbag kind of segment where I'm answering your questions, I'll listen to the voicemails ahead of time and then kind of try and come up with some thoughtful responses. Today, I thought we'd just wing it, you and me. I thought it would sort of feel a bit more authentic and in the moment and like you and I are having a conversation if we're both hearing these questions at the same time. So I can see what the topic is, but I haven't actually listened to the question. So I'm going to base this fully off of it just sounding like an interesting concept. And then you and I are going to see how it goes, guys. So let's start with this one. It's from someone named Heidi. And the question is about tweens who talk back, how to help them express what they're really trying to say. So let's see what Heidi's question, let's see what it sounds like. Hi, my name's Heidi. And I just have a question about tweens who talk back. I know that you had an episode about how you had to step up to the plate and be the disciplinarian and that at one point your child called you rude and your other child corrected him by saying, actually, um, she had to step up to the plate and somebody had to take care of the house and make sure everything got done. And I love that. However, it still doesn't necessarily... I guess, solved my question, which is what causes the child to actually be rude or to not 
get done what they need to get done to make the parents end up having to harp and repeat themselves and become that quote-unquote rude person. And then the behavior just kind of cyclically continues in that pattern. How do you break that pattern? I know later in another episode, you talked about knowing the child, understanding that they don't always have the emotional skills or the verbal skills to express what's on their minds. So part of me thinks that my child may have something going on that she just can't express, uh, but I can't seem to crack that code. And it's been about eight months, and my child is 11, and it's obviously growing up, but we've always had a good relationship, and for some reason, everything seems to be kind of a Debbie Downer, and I am absolute opposite of that, which obviously doesn't help either. So I'm just curious, you have kids that have gone through this stage, this age, I think it's normal, but at the same time, I'm curious what other moms do and what your perspective is on it. Thank you so much, and uh, I hope to get an answer. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Heidi, for this question. Also, thanks for referencing other shows. That makes my heart feel happy. It feels like we're already long friends, and you've already heard some of my thoughts on parenthood. It feels important to reference at this point that I am just another mom. Obviously, I'm not an expert. There's lots of great books. There's therapists that you can talk to. So this is just the perception of one mom to another. And I really want to encourage all of you who are parents to ask questions, to talk to each other. I was having a conversation recently with a doctor who specializes in hormones, and she was saying, you know, as women, we we've lost sort of our tribalism, meaning we've lost that thing that existed in us for so long where you would learn wisdom, you would learn how to do things from other people who had done it. You would learn how to give birth from the other women in your village. You would learn how to parent from other parents. And I think we sort of with the invention of social media, we're terrified to get it wrong. And so we don't admit when we're struggling or when we're having a hard time and There is no solidarity like the solidarity of having another mom look at you and be like, girl, (laughs) me too. And here's what we tried and here's what we did. So good on you, Heidi. And I just want to encourage everybody else. If you're struggling with something, talk about it. Reach out. Tell a friend. If you have another parent that you admire, even if you know it's someone new at school or in the PTA or whatever, just be like, hey, how did you help? Paisley navigate, you know, transitioning to middle school. It's worth an ask. I think that's what we maybe don't realize all the time is that you don't have to take someone's advice. You could just ask and sort of glean information and kind of put together some research and then figure out what works best for you. But it's worth hearing other people's perspectives. So here's mine. I kind of think of this in a few different ways. The first is I think of the personality type of my children. Now, I can't tell y'all how they'll eventually turn out. I can only speak to how they're turning out at 15, 14, 10, and 5. And at those ages, I 
feel really proud of the human beings that they are. And I feel like the further along that the, that I've gotten them, the better they're doing. So the younger they are, the more we're still trying to figure things out. Uh, but my teenagers, I'm really proud of how they show up in the world, the young men that they're becoming, what they're learning, how their brains are working, how they're thinking about other people. I'm sure they're still going to do stuff that I'm like, oh, dang it, teenage boy. But so far, I'm really proud of them. They're really good kids. That being said, the first thing I wondered, Heidi, was just hormones. You know, you said that your daughter's 11. I haven't gotten to tween years with a girl yet. So I can't speak to this, but I remember myself at that age. I was a disaster. I mean, we just, you can't control yourself. I have a hard time controlling my hormones now and I'm 39. So at 11 and you're going through puberty and all this stuff is happening, that's the first thing that I'd look at is, is that affecting her moods? And then maybe you've thought of this before, but I wonder a lot with Noah, who's five, if my hormones when I'm PMSing or when I'm on my period, I swear that her, her like somehow she's affected by that. Because I feel like we both sort of get into a peak state. And I don't even, I, I honestly, I hope I've gone through menopause by the time Noah gets her period. I'm sure that's not going to be the case, but wouldn't it be lovely if we were cycled together? Because I feel like if we cycle together, we might burn the house down just to watch the flames. I mean, I know how hormonal I can be. So this sassy, strong-willed child, I can't even imagine. So that's the first thing I thought about is just what's going on with her hormonally and if there's some information or some knowledge that you can give her that would be helpful. Uh, the second thing that I thought of is just personality type. Every single one of my kids has a different personality and a as far as I can tell, a different Enneagram number, a different love language. They're all such unique individuals. So I have in my oldest, from the time he could understand human language, if you told Jackson to pick up his toy, you know, to to not hit his brother, to do anything, he was just like, yes, ma'am. I mean, it wasn't even, he just, okay. Like he didn't fight back. He didn't, he's respectful and mature. And then along comes his little brother who, I mean, if he could have flipped me off as a toddler, if he would have known what that was, I promise you he would have done it. He was defiant. He was challenging. He was strong-willed to the nth degree. And just to speak to that for one minute, I despaired when he was little, like, I'm failing as a mom. This kid is a wild beast. Like, I'm never going to be able to help him. He's never going to, like, all these beliefs that I had because he was so strong-willed. And the man that he is becoming, the the amazing kid that he is today, I just, for any of you who are raising strong-willed children, I really want to give you that sort of light at the end of the tunnel that it does get better. and. I cannot speak to all children, but I will tell you the thing that helped most with my strong-willed toddler, who became my strong-willed elementary school student, uh, was giving him the opposite of what I thought he needed. 
You've never heard me talk about this. Yeah, the opposite. I, I heard long time ago that grace is giving someone the opposite of what they deserve. And I had no idea how to parent this you know, kid who would scream and fight back and tell me no and was defiant. And I tried everything. We tried timeouts. We tried, you know, rewards. We tried encouragement. We tried just like all of this stuff and nothing worked. And uh, at my wits end, I was kind of like, okay, well, everything I'm trying is not working. What's the opposite of everything I'm trying? And the opposite was more quality time, more one-on-one, more intentionality. And I'm not going to lie. I, I won't even pretend. It, I did not want to spend more time with him at that point. I didn't want to carve out extra time or take him on mommy Sundays. I didn't. I know you're not supposed to say that as a parent, but it was such a frustrating season. I would get a call from his teacher every single day. I was always at the school. He was always in trouble. And I was just so at the end of my rope that the idea of like, now I'm going to try and make him feel special was so alien to me. But I was desperate. I was like, screw it. I'm just going to try. And the results were, I am telling you, immediate. It was so crazy how fast our relationship turned around, how fast he was able to calm down, get a hold of his emotions, because it was like we weren't at war anymore. Now we're allies and we're in this thing together because what I understood about him that I hadn't seen before is like, he doesn't want to throw a fit. He's a little boy and he could not control his temper. He couldn't control the outburst. And no one's teaching him how because I'm just like rising to his vibrational level and getting upset with him. So it was only by calming down and doing the opposite that I was able to help him navigate that. It's such a gift because my daughter, my baby, is very strong-willed. And I actually told Sawyer this recently. I'm like, oh, I'm so grateful that I had you because if I hadn't navigated that with you, I would be parenting her so differently than I am. So all of that to say, that was a, a side, quick side note, but I noticed that another one of the questions on my voicemails was about strong-willed child. So this is a twofer. But back to Heidi and your daughter and this idea that kids are such different personality types. My son Sawyer is an Enneagram 7 to the absolute highest degree. This kid would go hang out with his friends, go walk around the mall, go to a football game. Go. He is always looking for the next fun thing to do. When he was little, that was like, he would get something for his birthday and he'd immediately want something else. You got some cake and now you want some ice cream. He always wants the next fun adventure. Now that he's a teenager, it looks like wanting to hang out with his friends, wanting to go and do fun things. And it's so his personality. And I love that I know this and I encourage it. But as his parent, it's also important for me to help him remember to balance. So he can actually make himself overly tired because he does sports like every day of the week and he has friends and all these things at school and he loves it. But he'd probably be like, mom, why are you telling people I get tired? Because God forbid anyone should know a 14-year-old boy gets tired, but he does. And so 
for me, I just keep trying to help him to balance, to remember, hey, you got to make sure you're, you know, drinking water. You got to make sure that you're getting good nutrition. Like you have to take care of yourself because you're wanting to do all of these things. And that requires a certain amount of intentionality on your part to be able to take care of yourself and have fun. The reason I bring him up is because I would say that he is the most challenging to get to do his chores, to remember to make his bed, to do the things that for other children in the family would come a lot easier. And you were talking about this idea of talking back and why, and there can be all kinds of reasons why, but it's worth questioning if part of it is just that maybe she doesn't feel like she should have to do those things. She doesn't feel like she should have to do chores or she doesn't want to do the things that you're asking her to do. When I've encountered that, what I found is in the moment, it it's not super effective to get into a conversation in the moment if he's heated, if he's really wanting to go somewhere, if to try and explain like the grander working structure of a family unit, that doesn't work super well in affecting change. What I have found is that going back to what I know has always really connected us is intentional one-on-one time. Those are the moments that I talk to him about, hey, you know, you're such an incredible leader on your sports team. What does it look like to be that kind of leader to your little brother? You know, how about we have some less, like a little less like roughhousing and teasing and a little more leadership? Or what does it look like to make sure that your room is clean and that your laundry is done and all of these things happen before you go to that? Because it's going to be really frustrating for you if you ask me if you can go to the mall with your friends And I tell you that you got to clean your room and that's going to take you an hour. And so it's that rational conversation that we can have in those moments when it's just us. And honestly, I think that's real for any kind of relationship to not try and get your point across when you're both heated or when you're both frustrated, but to try and get your point across or explain your positioning when you're in those moments together. And I know a lot of people are like, my house, my rules, or you're my kid, and so this is what you have to do. And if that works for you, keep on trucking. But I don't have that kind of relationship with my kids, especially my teenagers. We are very close. We talk about everything. I I explain the why. Because when I was little, I hated, like hated when my parents would say, you'd be like, well, why? And they'd be like, because I told you so. I hated that. And it, in retrospect, it sort of devalues you as a human being. Like you're not even important enough to understand why that's a rule. And so I don't do that. I explain why it's a rule. I explain why you can't do that. I explain why you can't stay out till midnight. I explain, you know, why you need to do your laundry and why you have to clean your room and why you have to help clean up dinner. Like we are a family. We do chores. That's what makes our family unit work. So for me, those are the things that help. And even if you don't use those one-on-one moments with her to understand why talking back is happening, I just cannot encourage any of you parents enough to really be intentional about 
time to talk with your kids. And what I found is that time to talk, especially for the teenagers, there's a lot of prequel work before you get to the main event. I mean, months and months and months, if not years, of lots of conversations where no one's saying anything and you're just listening to get to the place where they'll talk to you about everything. Because our early conversations when the boys were tweens were really me asking questions and then just listening, listening, listening. Like close your mouth, count to 10 if you have to before you say anything. Because so many parents ask questions and then just immediately launch into their version of the answer. If you really want to have a relationship with your kids that's real and authentic, you have to hold space for their truth. My kids say stuff all the time that I'm like, I don't want to agree with that or I don't like that that's their perception, but that's their truth. And if I try and diminish their perspective, I'm not going to get their truth again. So I know stuff that they've done, experiences that they've had, like I know, you know, first kisses. I know that stuff because they come and tell me because I'm not going to judge them in that moment. I'm not going to tell them why they're wrong. Like I'm just going to hold space. Now, if they did something that I felt like wasn't safe or wasn't okay, we also have the kind of relationship where they will hold space for that conversation with me. But that took a lot of buildup. I don't know if any of that was helpful, Heidi, and I know you said it's already been eight months, but maybe instead, and maybe it's like when my son was little, instead of what you think you're supposed to do, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe instead of feeling frustrated, you're like, hey, let's go, you know, let's go to the movie, just you and me. Let's go to lunch, just you and me. Let's go get coffee. Maybe she needs the space and maybe it's going to take, you know, 15 times of hanging out before she opens up about what she's feeling because maybe something is going on and she doesn't feel like she can tell you that yet, but you've got to create an environment where that feels like it's okay. And in the meantime, my best advice for getting kids to help with chores and do what they need to do is a really calm conversation where you're explaining why that needs to exist in the first place. I also, this probably isn't a popular perspective to have, but I also do try and, I want it to be fair in terms of what happens here and how we all contribute. And I definitely grew up in an environment and had a lot of friends. It was just sort of the community we lived in where Kids were really expected to do a lot around the house. And I think that's because there were so many working, hard working, like blue collar working parents who were working really killer shifts and sometimes two jobs to support their kids. So they needed that at home support. And this, I don't know if this is controversial to say, but when I think of my friends, whose parents were so hard. I'm thinking of someone specifically who was a close friend growing up. And her parents leaned on her so much to do chores at home, clean things, cook dinner, take care of her younger siblings. They had really 
you know, multiple jobs and they struggled financially. Our parents were super hardworking, but the amount that they basically they like made her a third parent. And I can think of her and I can think of a handful of other examples where I don't know if any of you were like this when you were she rebelled. The the people I knew who had they it did not go well. It ended up getting really bad for a lot of them because it was just like they were given so much responsibility and probably that's generational, right? Like her parents were given that much responsibility. It just keeps trickling down. But I'm really mindful of that. I think one of the most important things I'm trying to do is let my kids be kids. So they absolutely have chores. We're doing all these things together. Like we're all cleaning, we're all cooking, we're all contributing to what it is to be a family. And it's been like that since they were little. So that's important. But at the same time, I don't ever want it to be unfair. I don't ever want it to be like, I'm asking them to do so much on top of their homework, on top of their sports, on top of all these other things. So I will, as a parent, take on the brunt of it. To be honest, like I want them to contribute to our family because I want them to grow up to be good human beings, not necessarily because they're actually effectively making their beds. Like, bless, you know, no one makes her bed every day, you guys. And it is so cute and so terrible. She's five. I'm not having her make her bed because her made bed looks good. I'm having her make her bed because I think it's a great practice for us to have as human beings to make our bed every morning. And because I'm trying to establish some routine that like we all contribute and we clean up after ourselves. And I think that's what it is to be human. So Heidi, that was a bunch of ideas. I hope one of them was helpful. If they weren't, just ignore it and ask, you know, one of your friends at school and maybe they have some better advice for you. Okay, let's see. This one says, okay, she has a question about tour. Hey, Rachel, I just noticed that you are not touring in Columbus. So I was just curious as to if you're okay and um, if you're going to be at anywhere close to there. I was really looking forward to that. I listen to you pretty much every day. And uh, yeah, so if you have the opportunity to let other people know on your podcast uh, what happened, I would really just like to know um, what happened, I guess. And I hope that you're okay. All right, thanks. Bye. Oh my gosh. First of all, love that. I literally, I probably should call. Her name is Erica. I probably should call her and like freak around and be like, hey, it's Rach. Um, thank you for the question. Yeah, there were a couple cities that came off the tour schedule and it's nothing to worry about. So first I will answer Erica specifically and say, she said she was in Columbus. Um, so I hope Erica, you'll come to the Cincinnati show. So there are actually two in Ohio and I know it's not in the exact same place, but is in the same state. So maybe you roll over and hang out with me there. And I believe Cincinnati's our last night. So I feel like that's going to be the most epic. Like it'll be this big build up to that last night. So hopefully you can come hang out with us there. But yeah, the, it's not it's not controversial or dramatic. It was like a little bit of a bummer. But this whole tour is an experiment. I've never done it before. We're going to cities that are not known for personal development. I think I've said this pretty publicly that, you know, it was intentional if – 
I had gone to Miami, LA, Manhattan, like there are places I could go that I know would be a bigger draw. Uh, Just, you know, people there maybe have gone to something like this before and would want to come see. And in this instance, we were trying out cities to see if there was nibbles there. And some cities, it just wasn't as popular. And people were like, oh, you know, what? And I was like, oh, it's okay. It's not a big, you know, I think probably those, the incredible team that has been working on tour with me, I think that they probably were worried about my ego and like, oh, what are you going to do? And I'm like, oh, I still can't believe that literally one person wants to pay to hear me speak for real. Like I have never lost that version of me that, I mean, I learned to be a keynote speaker. No bullshit. I learned to be a keynote speaker by volunteering at senior citizens' homes, by talking at the local library. Like I would go speak at the opening of an envelope. I would go to anything because I was just trying to work on how to be a better speaker. I can very easily tap into what it feels like to not have anybody know your name and not have anybody care what you were saying. So the fact that thousands of you have bought tickets to tour is like, my heart's exploding. And y'all know what's going on. You know the price of gas, you know inflation, you know all of these things. And just in the world that we're living in, as much as I would freaking love to show up, you know, for a few hundred people, just like, I couldn't do that. Because in this instance, we have a partner in every city who helps us to put on the show. So there's like a local promoter in every city. And if they commit to something like that, it could be financially really harmful for them. I mean, think about it. Like if they put on a theater and turn on the lights and sell the tickets and do whatever and not enough people show up, they could lose money. And this is just post-COVID. It's not an environment where I want to do that, especially in small towns. So um, yeah, there were a few cities where it just wasn't working. And and so we had to let those go. And I prayed about it a lot. And I just was like, all right, you know, universe, God, I, I believe that there's a plan. And so I'm going to show up super hard and pumped and with my heart so full because there were cities that were really into it. And yeah, no worries. I really appreciate that you're you were nervous about me. I'm great. I just am trying to you know what it is? Like one of my things in life too is I realize that I have I have been very successful as a salmon swimming upstream. It's just the name of my game. And and maybe it's why I can do this work and maybe it's why, you know, I'm about to go on tour and talk to thousands of you about naming your goal and believing in yourself and here's how you the roadmap and whatever cuz like if I can navigate the world that I've navigated constantly pushing against resistance and constantly overcoming obstacles, well damn, imagine what it would feel like if you actually went with the flow. So As I get closer and closer to 40, one of my prayers, one of the things I'm meditating on most is like, I really want to be guided. I have felt like since this idea first popped into my heart, I remember so distinctly a year ago sitting at my dining room table and it just was like someone shot an arrow into my brain. I was like, a tour? What if we like went to cities? What if we... I got a son and I got Jack and I got the team and we just like were joyful and fun and we talked about hard things and good things and encouraged people to meet each other and build masterminds and make connections. Like, what if we did that? 
And I just have been steadily taking one step in front of the other to get to where we are today. And yeah, it, when a few of the cities didn't work, it was literally guys, it was just like that simple. I was like, okay, God, I'm just, I'm not going to force this upstream. I'm going to make a decision and that hopefully is what's best for everybody involved, not just myself or my ego. So yes, Erica, I'm great. And uh, there still are a lot of cities that you can come see us. And I promise it's going to be an incredible time. And I had a dream. I literally... Before I would prepare for Rise conferences, I would, you know, you you have crazy dreams when you have big stuff, like if it's a wedding or, you know, I don't know, big presentations coming up at work, you have these like wild dreams. And I had the wildest dream last night and it was also so beautiful. So my dream was that we were on tour and everything that could go wrong did. Like, Nobody knew how to turn the lights on, and we couldn't find our merch. And at one point, I literally, people came in and kidnapped me. I was kidnapped. I had to be ransomed back to the tour. It was like so hilarious, all of the things that went wrong in my dream. But the overwhelming theme in my dream was that we were all having so much fun. And I had a team meeting today with with the crew. We're all talking about, you know, you know, tours a few weeks away and like, what do we need to do and who's going to be where and what do we still need to figure out? And I was like, you guys, I just, I'm so blessed that this was the dream because this is my dream. My dream is that me, Jack, Kate, like my big sister's coming. Like I've, I've just like the whole, the volunteers who volunteered to show up and help us love on our guests. Those of you who've bought tickets, like, we're about to have so much fun. We're going to do good things. We're going to dream big dreams. We're going to be inspired. We're gonna, our hearts hopefully lit up and turned on and the whole thing. But we are going to laugh. I hope that you laugh until you pee your pants a little bit. I hope that you get reconnected. Like, we're about to have fun. We're, we're going to have so much coffee. We're going to have so many laughs. And yeah. Erica, everything is great. Thank you for asking. You know, I wanted to tell this story too, and I'm glad you set it up so that I could. I was going to talk about this at tour, but this is also part of being a dreamer. This is part of the process of working toward a goal. And people are terrified of the exact thing that would help them figure out what it is they need to do. The exact thing that you need to do is experiment. You got to try shit. You've got to try stuff. I, I had a call with a, a journalist this morning to talk about tour. And, you know, she was like, how often have you done this? I was like, oh, we've never done this before. She's like, wow, are you feeling? I'm like, oh, I'm super excited. Because, yes, I could look at having to let some cities go and be like, oh, well, I found out that, you know, in – Columbus, nobody knows who I am. Or I could be like, oh, cool. I found seven cities with a fan base that I didn't know existed, right? I, I'm going to go out and I'm going to try new material. It's all new stuff. And like, I'm going to be able to see what works, which is a gift because I'm about to turn in my next book. And you better believe that there's stuff that I'm going to test and try out on tour that will find itself in the chapter of my book. You got to try stuff. You've got to experiment. You got to see what works and what doesn't. And 99% of people will not do this because they don't want people to see them fail. 
like we have to let go of our fear. I, I, people don't even like the word failure. I think I've talked to you about this. The amount of notes I've gotten and DMs and emails who are, you know, so sweet and kind and encouraging, but like, could you please just not use the word fail? The word fail is so triggering to me. And we have got to unpack that and release this association we have with that being a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. You are not what you do. Let me say it again for the people in the back. Let me say it again for anyone in your life that's sitting in the cheap seats. You are not what you do. So your worth will never be determined by whether or not the thing you tried worked. Some of y'all are taking yourself to task for a job that you tried to take on five years ago. You're still self-flagellating because a decade ago you invested money in a company that didn't pan out. You're still saying, what if I did this? What if I did that? Man, you don't know. You don't know what would have happened. And why do you assume that your mistake was a bad thing? Why haven't you considered that the failure, you can't see me, I'm using air quotes, that that failure was exactly what was supposed to happen for you to be in this moment that you're in? Like life is one of two directions. Either you're being guided and something greater than you is leading you down the path, or this is all random. You get to choose what you believe this world is, but I believe it's guided. And if I'm going to believe that it's guided when things work out, if I'm going to believe it's guided when it all goes according to plan, then I sure as hell have to believe it's guided when it doesn't work. But the only thing that I can do to know what works and what doesn't is try some stuff. And you don't have to try and do a national tour. Your thing to try could be, okay, I'm going to sign up for ballroom dance classes because I always wanted to do that, right? Maybe what you're going to try and do is actually say hi to the cute bartender that you keep wanting to hit on, but she seems so pretty and so cool. And so you think there's no way she'll ever like you. Maybe that's what you're going to try this week. And if the bartender doesn't like you back, it has nothing to do with who you are. It just means she wasn't right for you. It just means something else better is on the horizon. But you got to try stuff. You got to experiment. You got to see what's possible. Because everybody that you admire in business, all the scientists, all the developers, all the inventors, they're all creating and trying new things. The world is not going to remember how many times Edison tried to make the light bulb? The world remembers that Edison invented the light bulb. They're not paying attention to, you know, Edison's test of the light bulb number 732. They're just like, yeah, that guy, light, he did that. That's cool. So <laughs> you get to decide. But if we can remove this fear of getting it wrong, we'll actually have the ability to figure out what works. You know, I'm bummed that it worked out the way that it did. I wish it had flourished in every city, but I'm accepting that this is what life looks like. I also just want to make sure Erica knows and anybody else knows, I am giving away a 
gift with purchase for anybody who buys tickets to the tour. So if you haven't heard, I'm teaching a class. It's a free live class. It's on Zoom. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you have signed up. And honestly, I'm like blown away. I'm so pumped that you guys want to have an hour-long conversation about confidence as much as I do. That class is available even if you were in a city where your ticket got canceled. So if you bought a ticket and I'm not coming to your city anymore, you still get access to the class for free. Anybody who bought a ticket uh, can do that. So you just go to rachetalklive.com. You upload your proof of purchase by September 18th at midnight. Class is September 19th at 11 a.m. So you want to upload that by the night before. And you can join me. We're going to spend at least an hour. You know me, so I'll probably go over. But at least an hour taking a deep dive into confidence and how it affects our life and how it's a skill that we can use to make the quality of our life better. But in the context of tour, I wanted to talk about confidence because so many of you who are coming are coming because you're working on a goal. Whether that goal is personal or professional, if you feel confident in your sense of self and your self-worth, you're going to be so much more likely to pursue that goal from a place of joy and love and energy and motivation than if you feel like you're struggling with insecurity. So that was the why behind the class. And you guys can find more information at ragetalklive.com. So yeah, that's the deal. It's not really like juicy gossip, but that is the why. All right, let's do Let's do one more, guys. Let's do one more question. Let's see. Okay. This one sounds a little juicy. So let's see if it's any good. Hey, Rachel. My name is Emily, and I am calling from Oregon. And I've been a longtime listener of your podcast. Love the variety of things that you share. And I wanted to seek some advice from you. I kind of seek you out as like a big sister. And I wanted to ask some advice on how do you deal with a boss who is completely overbearing, disrespectful, and very um, kind of immature, to be honest. Um, I work in the fitness industry, and I work with a boss who is super just full of herself and really thinks that she's better than everyone and acts very alpha female. The fitness industry is kind of notorious for just allowing people to kind of do whatever they want and get away with it. But what I mean by her is she just is really disrespectful to myself and coworkers. She doesn't really take initiative in training people and expect everyone to kind of pick up the slack on their own. She's super condescending and also kind of backstabbing. She'll kind of set people up to fail in a way just to make herself look better really hard for me to approach her. I don't feel super comfortable approaching someone like this who also has multiple years of experience while I only have a couple years of experience in this industry. I don't know how to seek the support that I want and I don't know how to approach this super well. It's it's kind of in a tough position. I think there's a huge difference between being a boss and a leader. I think that asking you about it, I know that you've got some really good insight on your leadership style, and I really admire that about you. And I just want to see if you would shed some light on how to deal with really difficult people that are your bosses. Thank you so much for your time. Um, If you get around to answering this, I super appreciate it. And I hope you're having a good start to your school year. And Morgan, our school year doesn't start until after Labor Day. So I'm just soaking in the last days of summer. Thanks so much. You know, part of me is like, should I give you the sort of long, drawn out, do this, this, and this? But like, 
you said you thought of me as a big sister. So here's what your big sister would say. Can you get another job? Is there somewhere else you can work? Because I don't know how you could possibly fix your boss. Like everything you're saying, this is not a miscommunication issue. This is not a I need more direction issue. This is a personality issue. And some people don't care, right? They don't care who their boss is because they're going to sort of check in, check out. They just want the paycheck. They're going to bounce. They're not going to take it home with them. And that's fine. But what it sounds like you are looking for is a mentor, not a boss. Those are two completely different things. And every mentor that I've had has typically come from outside my work environment. It hasn't been someone who was directly responsible for managing my day. So I guess my first question is, do you have to work at this place? And before you're like, no, yes, 100% I do, I just want to say that there are a lot of ways to pay your bills, right? If you're trying to come up in the industry, maybe you're trying to be an influencer, maybe you're trying to grow your base of customers, you're trying to be a bigger trainer in your town, whatever it looks like for you, there's lots of ways to pursue that vision without having to work for someone who creates a hostile work environment. And I just feel like life is too short. I don't want to make things that cut and dry, but they are. There are lots of ways to make rent. There's lots of ways for you to pursue the goals and the dreams of your heart and not have to work for someone who's a jerk. Because there is nothing that you can say to this person that's going to change the way that she behaves, especially if she's got 20 years on you, especially if she's treating everyone that way. Now, if the business was owned by someone else and you have a relationship with that someone else and you can speak to that someone else about this woman, that's a possibility. But that often going around and sort of jumping the hierarchy can create more drama politically for you than just finding the next place to go. I think we invest sometimes too much in trying to fix the current circumstances instead of understanding that perhaps the universe is telling us that this isn't the right circumstance for us to be in in the first place. So my best advice in this instance is you don't try and fix her. You figure out what it is you want to do, what is the goal that you have, and you get laser focus on how you make that happen without needing to work in the current environment that you work in. Yeah, that's my answer. And I wish that I had a sort of four-step process for you to make your boss a better human, but <laughs> there's millions of us who wish that we could have made our boss a better human. But to be honest with you, if I hadn't had a series of really crappy bosses, I would never have started my own company. And if I had never started my own company, would you guys even know who I am? I don't think you would have. It was all part of my process. I remember at the time having one crappy boss after another and just being like, ugh, why do I keep finding these jerks and like this sucks and this is hard and I would just dread going to work every day. But if I hadn't gotten to a place where I was totally fed up with that, I wouldn't have tried to figure out how to be an entrepreneur. And if I hadn't quit my job and tried to start a company, I wouldn't have done what I needed to do to make enough money to survive. I wasn't thriving in the beginning. I definitely wasn't financially thriving, but I was surviving on my own terms. And that's a different kind of thriving that you can never find working for someone else. So maybe it's time you consider that you start your own gig. And this is the push that you need to make that happen. All right, guys. 
those are your questions answered in the real real time real moment i didn't prep you're like yeah we could tell those answers were terrible <laughs> those are um in the moment answers for you but i hope you all found something in there that was helpful. I hope you'll forward it along to a friend or a family member if I said something you think would be helpful to them. And if you have a question of your own, call the hotline. The number is in the show notes. You can call and just like these ladies did, ask a question. And also it's always ladies. So where are the dudes? I know you're listening. Brian, Keith, Paul. I'm making up those names. I actually don't know the guys listen to the show. But if you do, I would love to answer your questions as well. But yeah, that's the hotline. Give it a call. Let me see what kind of answers I can help you with or at least distract you while you're doing other work. I am Rachel. Super grateful I get to hang out with you guys. I hope I'll get to see you on tour. It's going to be so fun just here in a few weeks. And um, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. Wherever we're going, wherever we're going to be, it's about to be a good thing. So you guys stay safe. Have a fantastic week. I'll be back soon with more um, with more conversation for you and until then remember I love you and I'm rooting for you the Rachel Hollis podcast is produced by me Rachel Hollis it's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble <laughs>